are you people? Well, some would call us magicians. To some degree, we all have unusual psychic powers. Your husband brought us together several years ago to try to help in his research. He and Frank began studying the ancient Egyptian methods of the occult, and they found evidence that the Egyptians had developed the secret method of giving life to inanimate figurines. Suppose we found it, Frank. What Andre Toulon's discovered, I mean. What would you do with the power? I'd rule the world. We're all in danger. He means to kill us all. Who does? Gallagher. It's an interesting aroma. What is it? Hickory and dragon's blood. This is a movie star bed. Two famous movie stars had a wild night in this bed. Clark Gable and Carol Lombard. Did it ever pass through your sweet, innocent little mind that your husband just possibly married you for your money? A little bit of sauce and Dana becomes quite the cynic, isn't she? I'm not a cynic, Frank. I prefer to think of myself as a nasty bitch. What is it? in the room, Frank. Metaphysically speaking, I killed myself. And using the techniques of the old puppet master, I brought myself back to life. All life eventually ends in death, but for me, there is no end now. Lenore Zan of Visiting Hours and Happy Birthday to Me, among others, uh, a scream queen in Canada. You are listening to The Hysteria Continues. Yeah, and welcome back to The Hysteria Continues and episode 301. So we're up into those 300s, and uh, this time we are covering the original Puppet Master from 1989. And we're joined by longtime friends of the show, Tyler Elkins. Tyler, uh, great to have you aboard. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. I am so excited to talk about some killer puppets. Well, we'll look forward to, well, we'll, we'll talk um, with you shortly, but uh, to see how the others are doing. Eric, uh, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay, considering it's one o'clock in the afternoon, so <laughs> I can't complain. Yes, it's one o'clock in the afternoon here as well, so it's a... Uh, Yes, quite. We're living on easy street. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Timelines. Time uh, and uh, Joseph, how are you doing? Oh, Frank. Oh, Frank. <laughs> That's my best uh, Carissa impression, by the way. Excellent. Yeah, so we're going to have fun with this one, aren't we? And uh, I imagine, Nathan, this this movie is probably kind of a, a firm favorite from back in the day. And currently. And currently. Well, excellent. Glad to hear it. And how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Very well, very well. I've got a bit of a, just getting over a head cold, so I might, uh, I'll try not to cough too much. Um, but apart from that, all good. So, uh, yeah, well, um, Tyler, what have you been watching recently? Because as you probably know, as a long-time listener of the show, uh, that's what we do first. So we'll come to you. What, is there anything you've seen you'd like to tell us about? On a side note, I'd like to mention real quick, happy 24th birthday today to the very underrated Scream 3. But that aside, as far as what I've been watching, um, I caught up with the finale of Dracula, uh, which was fun. I'm finally getting around to the Chucky TV show. I'm really late to the party on that one. But of the little of it I've seen so far, it's been good. I'm kind of you know excited to uh, get into the rest of it. I watched Night Beast for the first time. Don Dollar's Night Beast. Has anybody seen that one? 
Oh, not yeah. for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, not for a long time. I remember the video cassette. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've got uh, a big Dondola fan who listens to the podcast out there. So hello, Robert. Yeah, Night Beast is amazing. It's I didn't go in with very high expectations. I wasn't really sure what I was in for, but it's really delirious fun from start to finish. Um, it's a wonderful knife. I know you guys talked about that when I saw that one recently. Um, the big one I wanted to talk about was the Exorcist Believer. I've still not seen that, but um, yeah, be interested to hear what you think. Um, I really wasn't impressed with it. I think it was one of those kind of movies where, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, the further it drug on, my hopes for it started to sink because it just sort of regressed back into every sort of ghost movie trope that you've seen in the last, you know, 20 years or so. And whereas the original Exorcist, it kind of felt like Reagan being in danger was the the threat presented. It was the child, you know, in danger of being harmed. The new one kind of turns that on its head and tries to make the children themselves scary since it's a pair of girls this time. And part of that was it was doomed from the start because I've never been scared of children specifically in movies anyway. That's kind of one of those things that I've never really been, you know, bowled over by in terms of, you know, like Gage and Pet Cemetery or the Twins in the Shining. It's just or like any of the various Japanese ghost children and whatnot. It's some people it's clowns, for me it's children. But um it just kind of plotted on and like most uh modern movies, it's just bloated and much, much longer than it deserves to be. And I was not impressed whatsoever. I think that's about all I I wanted to see Night Swim, but I didn't hear very good things about it. Kind of steered clear but other than that i think that's about it as far as what i've seen has anyone seen night swim i have is any good no <laughs> is it bad good that i would like no it's 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 very cookie cutter it's very boring uh so i'll give this is this is my recently seen it's just night swim really um so it's about uh, the lead actually in it i didn't realize is wyatt russell who is kurt russell and goldie hans son uh, and he's fine in it. He plays a, an ex-baseball uh, pro who's developed MS, so he has had to retire early. They move into this new house in the suburbs that has a swimming pool. He finds that the waters of the pool, which are sourced from a natural spring, start giving him, uh, start restoring his health, and the MS sort of goes diagnosis goes into reverse. But there's a price to pay for it. All this sort of. Um, good that water is doing so I mean the film is was pitched to me as it's about a haunted swimming pool and a lot I know a lot of people roll their eyes at that concept but I was like woohoo bring it on the stupider the concept the more I'm there um but to uh, if you pardon the pun the film just sort of treads water with its one singular idea which is that there's a haunted swimming pool so there's lots of scenes of people underwater having a swim and they see somebody standing at the side of the pool and then when they come to the surface that person's gone Ooh, spooky and the lights flick on and off quite a lot in the swimming pool but not a lot happens in the film there's one scene kind of poltergeistish where some dead bodies appear in the pool to attack somebody who's swimming late at night and uh actually one of the one of the corpses that has come to life look it's supposed to be a sort of a bloated drowned victim i'm assuming but it looks like a uh, rejected makeup effects idea from spookies it's really absurd and comic looking and it's sort of really out of uh, place in the film but i mean it was based on a short film that was i think four minutes long 
and you can really tell because there's there's just nothing going on in the film at all to keep you going. I mean, I've seen Exorcist Believer as well, and I think Exorcist Believer was a much better film. I still didn't think it was terribly good, like Tyler said, but it's certainly better than Night Swim. I thought it was a huge disappointment because I thought that the negative reviews were all sort of based on the fact that it's a stupid concept, and I'm all about stupid concepts, really. But uh, this was just boring. It was just a nothing film, really, I'm afraid. So thumbs up then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to, just going back to Tyler, did you think the right person won Dracula? No, I don't think they did. Mm. I say that with love to the person who did win. Yeah. But I think it should have been, I think, uh, spoilers ahead for anybody interested who hasn't seen the finale yet, but I think it should have been Throb Zombie who won. I love that name. <laughs> Yeah, actually, Frob Zombie would have been a, a good winner. But yeah, sorry, spoilers to Dracula if you're still watching it. But the uh, finale was two weeks ago. And also, it'll be another two weeks before this comes out, probably, anyway. So so no apologies. But uh, um, so, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, well, thank you, Eric. Um, Nathan, how about you? Um, I watched uh, Shutter Island. I had not seen it. Um, it, I mean, it's one of those movies that I always plan to see. You mentioned that on the last show, Nathan. You did. I was getting deja vu here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to pull anything out of my hat that I haven't. That um, I, Let's see. Well, I watched a new show. It was a thriller called Wilderness, and I did not enjoy it at all. It was on Amazon Prime. It's like a, a thriller about a woman finds out her husband's cheating, so she's plotting his murder, and then all this other stuff happens course that kind of throws a wrench in the plans but it has got to be like one of the slowest shows it's so boring i kept thinking they could have condensed this into a movie and it would have been fine but they stretched this out over seven hour long episodes and most of it is people talking about inane stuff and the main character making the most dumbest decisions that she could possibly make um and then i would the ending is very unsatisfying it's very like Oh, that's how you ended it. So, um, yeah, not really a fan of that one. So I wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, I mean, aside from that and my apparently repeat viewing of Shutter Island, I <laughs> haven't seen anything else except what we're covering. Okay, well, no problem. Uh, Joseph, how about you? Um, the only thing I can remember seeing since we last recorded was Founders Day which is the uh, the new slasher with a political slant. And if you'd uh, like to read my full thoughts, you can find a review on Justin's website. But um, I'll just quickly say I found it very overlong. It's almost two hours long. It's very cheap looking, and it's really depressing. There's no, there's no real fun to be had here except for the, uh, the kind of the Scooby-Doo denouement. Uh, that's the only thing that really offers any kind of excitement. Uh, but even that was fleeting. Um, I... This movie was so cheap, I wonder how they got it to the theaters, because it's very flat. It almost feels like an independent uh, Kickstarter movie. Uh, have any of you guys caught up with that yet, Tyler? Um, I can't say that I have, not yet anyways. Is that that really cheap film where that guy says it's y'all's turn and chases them around a the house? <laughs> I, I wish it was. That movie's very political. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's out. Um, I Obviously, it's not going to get a cinema release overseas, I don't think. Um, so it'd probably turn up on streaming at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's just another one of those movies where too many characters survive. You don't really care for the characters. Um, 
it's just not very fun. I mean, slasher movies are supposed to be fun. It's just so dour and mopey and uh, I just didn't enjoy it at all. I wanted to because the premise is good, but yeah, that's the only thing I've seen that I can recall. So feel free to move on. Okay. Well, thank you for the the review, Joseph. Um, Excellent as ever. So if you want to read that, that's on Hysteria Lives. Um, So I'm sure we'll come back to that when we eventually watch it. But uh, I've seen a few uh, bits and pieces. Um, I uh, the latest review at time of recording on Hysteria Lives um, or keeping it classy. It's uh, Bring It On, Cheer or Die, which is the seventh, apparently the seventh instalment of the Bring It On franchise, which I've not seen any of. Um, but it's all about sort of cheerleading competitions, I presume. It's, yeah, um, first one's great. Yeah, I can imagine that it probably was funny. You know, they're kind of comedies, aren't they? Kind of teen comedies. So this one does goes down the uh, the slasher routes of uh, uh, like so many of those. There's been a few of them, isn't it? Is the little darlings? What's the um, Pretty Little Liars? They they kind of uh, the kind of teen series did a slasher series recently. So it's kind of similar thing here. We have a uh, a cheer squad going to an abandoned high school and being bumped off one by one by their team mascot. They're sort of dressed as a devil. Um, <clears throat> it's the the problem is it's although it's kind of I think it's released by Universal. It's got um, that really flat kind of feel that you might get from a director to be movie perhaps. Um, and although it's got great kind of great campy potential, it's um, everything just is a bit flat, uh, which is ironic for a film that's all about kind of pep and cheer. Uh, so it's yeah, it, it's also kind of referencing Scream all the way through it. By as a character has the TV set dropped on the head. Um, a couple of characters are called one's called Sydney, um, uh, and there's sort of other kind of links to Scream. But the trouble is, you know, when you start comparing it to that film, this film looks it's incredible. It's basically just complete throwaway, forgettable. Um, so we're not exactly selling the slash movie this. This episode. No, we're we? not. It's all very no. downbeat. <laughs> Night swims no good. Founders <laughs> Day is no good. Cheer die. Bupkis. My next one though is a rave. It's um, a film that had been recommended to me, um, and I, I it's on Shudder. So I watched it. It's um, Crystal Eyes, which is the uh, Argentinian neo giallo from 2017, I think. Uh, and we've talked about the kind of the neo giallo, like your the strange color of your body's tears or whatever it is. Those kind of movies, which are all kind of just style over substance, where there's kind of like no story really or anything. It's just kind of beautiful kind of cinematography and sort of kind of dreamlike feel to them, which is fine. But <clears throat> we've all sort of said it'd be nice to actually have a, a neo giallo that actually was like a giallo. And this one is uh, is set in 1985. Um, around a fashion house and it is just so over the top and campy and ridiculous uh it's um it's it, the basic plot is like a really bitchy model uh managed to set herself her wedding dress on fire during a, a, a kind of fat, a catwalk um and then a year later uh they do a tribute to her um and they uh, they're kind of battling to see who'd be the, the cover girl on this uh, on this fashion magazine and someone dressed in full latex uh, drag, talking of Dracula, um, as goes starts killing the models off one by one. Uh, and they, as the person, they've got you know those kind of really creepy kind of um, uh, sort of late silicon full body suits you see people wear, probably in strange catalogues. But uh, there's sometimes programs on Channel Five in UK, and it's kind of um, 
strange men dressing up in full latex bodysuits. Is this the kind of thing you'd find at a Spanish supermarket? It could well yeah, be, Justin. yes. <laughs> yes. Although this is an Argentinian supermarket, perhaps. But the great thing about this is partly also the killer. Um, they uh, When they're chasing people and they're killing them, they're doing it with model kind of sachet, like they're doing, going down a catwalk. Um, so it's so totally over the top. And it's got this, um, the fashion house is this model. Uh, and inside, um, it's clearly a model, and it's obviously not already hiding it inside. It, the, the the whole place is done up exactly like the the ballet school in uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria, and it's one of the films that is actually does you know we're talking about kind of retro slashes and retro jali, uh, and this has the 1985 fashions down to a T. And I'd be interested to see, especially you, Eric, if you watched it, to see it's everyone's hair is just really on point. It's kind of everything, the makeup, everything for a kind of relatively low budget movie. Um, and, but it, what it does is actually has a central mystery, um, you know, so it, it actually satisfies all the way through. Um, uh, so it's it's really riffing off films like Too Beautiful to Die or um, uh, what's the other one? The, oh. Nothing Underneath also did the fashion house thing. Yeah, those kind of mid-80s jelly. It's kind of, it is just, re- I thought it was fantastic. It was really good. So I'm what's, it, what's it called again? Just- Crystallize, as in like, not crystal eyes, it's crystal eyes. Because the killer's eyes. Did you eyes, review this for Hysteria Lives? I have reviewed it. I haven't put it up yet. I think it might be next week. Okay, okay. So I'd, I'd like to talk about it. You know, I'd be interested in what you guys think about it because I think it'd be a fun one to talk about on the main show. Um, uh, so there was that. And the other <clears throat> one I'll just quickly mention was the uh, the new Swedish slasher Carousel, um, which uh, came out the end of last year. Uh, and this one's by the same people, same production company did Feed, which was the... Um, there's Swedish slasher about a witch on the island, which is really good. Um, this one's not so good, although it's much more of a straight head slasher movie about some teenagers um, being invited to Sweden's largest amusement park um, for VIP night tickets and uh, a killer in a doll mask starts bumping them off one by one. Uh, so uh, it's kind of what is it's a kind of strangely put together mo- movie. Uh, every a lot of it's told through kind of flashback. You find out kind of what what the mystery is. It unravels the way through the movie, but unfortunately, what it does do is it kind of because you don't really get much information at the beginning. It's quite difficult to connect with the characters. Having said that, there's some great slasher set pieces like um, uh, to the final girls battling the doll face killer on top of a roller coaster as the car is zooming around and um, in danger of knocking them off. And someone gets decapitated in one of those. I had to look up what it was, like Tunnel of Love or Tunnel of Fun or whatever, where you walk through and the, you're in this big cylinder and it's moving and you kind of get disorientated. So, um, but uh, yeah, so if you like your kind of uh, throwbacks to 90 slashes, like I still know what you did last summer, then it's definitely along those lines. Uh, so kind of middling for me, but I'll review that on the site uh, at some point soon. But uh, yeah, I urge you to check out Crystallize if you, if you haven't. Uh, let me know what you think. I really want to see this. Yeah, you may hate it, but it's kind of. I just thought it's kind of. It's it's definitely a low budget, and some of the sounds a bit iffy. But the the way they do the eighties fashions and just the central conceit of this killer, um, you know, basically voguing their way around after murder victims is just kind of it's unique. Uh, so uh, yeah, I've never seen anything quite like it. But uh, so it's my favourite of the kind of uh, sort of neo jali uh, by far. So okay. Um, well, let's get on to the main events. 
in a house of mysteries. This hotel seems to have quite a history, Mr. Gallagher. Who are you people? A research team with special powers. <gasps> My God. She's experiencing the past. Because we are all joined by our thoughts. <gasps> Has uncovered an ancient secret. I have something I want to show you. <laughs> Metaphysically speaking, I killed myself. They have given life to a deadly power. We're all in danger. And now a box of little toys. I think someone's in the room, Frank. Has become a gang of little terrors. Irene Miracle, Paul Lamatt, Barbara Crampton, and William Hickey as the Puppet Master. Alex Whitaker and three other gifted psychics are investigating rumours that the secret of life has been discovered by Master Puppeteer and Andre Toulon. But the psychics quickly discover Toulon's secret of death in the form of five killer puppets, each one uniquely qualified for murder and mayhem. Together they're an army of skilled assassins, diabolically programmed to guard the deadly secrets of the Puppet Master. Now, this is kind of a series I, back in the day when it first started arriving on our video stores, I kind of dismissed it. I remember watching the first couple and thinking they were okay, but because they were, ew, direct video, I kind of was like very dismissive of them. It reminded me of the Malibu Stacy episode of The Simpsons where uh, they go, ew, because she's only like $1.99, whereas if she, the more expensive ones, they're like, ooh. Um, but yeah, that's what I was, that's my, was my approach to kind of direct video stuff back then. I never really gave it a chance, and it's only in recent years. I, I've got the first five Puppet Masters on Blu ray, actually, from 88 Films, and uh, it's only sort of more and more recent years I've become to, to sort of rediscover them. Um, one thing that did strike me about the film is that it's there's a lot more plot going on than I gave it credit for. I kind of remembered it as being just killer puppets going around killing people for no real reason, but there is there's lots of setup in this. In fact, it's it's quite leisurely paced. Um and you know there's a decent amount of backstory. The the, the killer puppets don't actually make a huge amount of uh they don't take up a huge amount of of, of screen time. Um uh, I'm imagining that's because of sort of budgetary budgetary reasons. You know, you can't you can only use X amount of um, stop motion animation before it becomes sort of cost prohibitive. I imagine, but uh, the bulk of the film is kind of more focused on the psychics than than it is the puppets. Um, the production values I thought were really impressive uh, and far better than uh, I recalled. Um, now this film. I always think looks quite European and I had assumed it was one of um, the Charles Band productions that was maybe filmed in Eastern Europe but this this one was not uh, unlike some of the sequels and the subspecies series this one's actually filmed in America but I still feel it has a kind of a a very European feel to it particularly in that sort of dream sequence moment towards the end where in the white in the white room and and uh, Gallagher is dancing with that woman and he's wearing the mask probably to do with the uh, Sergio Sergio Salvati who was the cinematographer because he worked with Lucio Fulci on on the beyond and zombie flesh eaters and so so that's why I just kind of I mean probably knew that much we did but that was kind of uh, when not name dropping but when I did a commentary for this and I listened back to that we which I listened to that. yeah okay 
so yes so it was um that was kind of that that, that i think that's definitely where that that feel comes from yeah, I was listening to that commentary actually during the week and uh, you're very enthusiastic about Puppet Master, so I'll be intrigued to see what your real thoughts are, Justin, when you're not being paid to, to what do you uh, mean? be nice what? about it. You're saying <laughs> I'm like some kind, of, some, some kind of prostitute for horror movies. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yes, you're a whore for commentaries. <laughs> um, yeah, so the people probably expecting a slaughter fest aren't maybe going to get what they want um, because, it, as I said, it... it, it it's probably around the the hour mark. I didn't really time it, but it's around around about an hour into the film that the killings start. When they do, they're actually really quite good. Um, Leech Woman in particular is really really disgusting. Um, uh, just leeches are just vile things to, to look at, and that uh, that poor man, after having such a wonderful time with his girlfriend, for it to end so horribly is uh, really bad. Um, I also um, I found on uh, I, I do have this on Blu-ray before I say this but I did find a stream on the internet where it had a slightly longer cut of the film um, I think it's only about 90 seconds or so it might even be less but uh, it has uh, more sort of severed finger mayhem in the finale and more green blood spurting everywhere in that and it was uh, really uh, quite a, a gory finale to the film I thought Um so this came out the year after Child's Play. Now, I'm a big fan of the Child's Play series, and I still think that the Chucky films are superior to uh, to the Puppet Master series. But these ones are really entertaining and really well made. And I thought the, the although they're used sparingly, I thought the puppets were really good. I love the use of stop motion, which is a form of animation that I really am impressed by. Um, you know, I love those those old Ray Harryhausen films were kind of a gateway drug for me to horror back in the sort of late 70s, early 80s when they'd appear on television. Um, I thought the 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 one that's called Pinhead, who's the kind of muscly one with the tiny head, looked a bit like Jason Statham. And uh, I don't mean to be mean, but Leech Lady looked not unlike Susie. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's plenty to love in this film. I th- as I said, I thought it was uh, really well made and... Uh, yeah, I collected these films when 88 were bringing them out on Blu-ray. I collected the first three subspecies films also. And uh, they're all actually really quite good and quite well made and certainly far better than I gave them credit for back in the day. I still wouldn't class them as, um, you know, they're not sort of five-star films, but they are sort of solid three-star ones, I think. So, um, yeah, and uh, Justin, you'll probably, you're the only one who will get this reference, but did you think that uh, Paul Lamash looked like Rod from Rod, Jane and Freddy? Uh, Well, now you say it, um, I was thinking about him being in Death Valley. Well, like I think I was just waiting for him to burst, to, for him to go into a room and Zippy and Bungle would be in there, which are puppets <laughs> as well. Well, that would have um, been kind of quite sinister, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, anyway, that's a very niche reference for UK and Irish listeners uh, to a children's television show called Rainbow. Um, anyway, Tyler, what, tell us why you uh, picked Puppet Master. Is it a firm favourite of yours? Indeed it is. I have a fondness for... I want to say the first four films, definitely, and maybe kind of the fifth one. But my my real love and area of expertise with these movies is in those early few. Now, to address up front the elephant in the room as to whether or not it's a slasher movie, I'd say it tends to prioritize its other elements first. But I think it overlaps enough with traditional slice and dice to at least be considered a close relative. Yeah, well, 
we're not fussy anymore. We're, we're it's slim pickings these days in the slasher barrel, so we have to shoehorn anything in. Right, right. I couldn't help but chuckle at the fact that in the beginning, Blade is running to warn Toulon, and this little puppet runs a marathon, and somehow not a single person spots him. <laughs> um, we get a glimpse at a version of Andre Toulon before he was kind of this, you know, invisible man in the sequel and this overarching character in the series. And really his relevance to the plot here revolves around his suicide, played by William Hickey, of course, who I would know best as Uncle Lewis from uh, Christmas Vacation. The blessing! (laughs) Grace has been dead for 30 years. I love horror movies that have a memorable location. And while the Bodega Bay isn't exactly Garth Manor from Hell Knight, it is a pretty serviceable backdrop. Our cast of characters, to me anyways, is unique and interesting, even though they're pretty unsympathetic for the most part. If not unsympathetic, then outright boring, a.k.a. our our lead guy, unfortunately. I think he bogs the film down a fair bit. Um, On paper, it sounds deceptively simple. A group of psychics alone in an old hotel with sentient puppets running amok. Um, But Puppet Master manages to pack, as Eric was mentioning, a staggering amount of plot and folds and wrinkles into um, the film. Whereas Eric just packs in a bunch of folds and wrinkles. (gasps) Poor Eric. Tyler, you set them up for that. You really set them up for that. (laughs) I can't help it. Thank you, Tyler. No problem. (laughs) It kind of fascinates me that a movie that sells itself on the puppets themselves has honestly the guts to dip into the slightly weightier uh, concepts that it does. That said, Puppet Master, to me, executes its odd bedfellow ideas with a surprisingly deft, if not admittedly very low-budget hand, Uh, the resulting movie kind of feeling procedural and dreamlike, but kind of strange and unique all the same. Um, Like Eric said, also, the puppets take up a pretty small amount of screen time, but their their presence is uh, very memorable, and I think they utilize their time on screen well. Um, Speaking of the puppets, their craftsmanship is second to none. Uh, which has always been the biggest strength of this entire franchise uh, to me. Uh, The body's position around the table with the big reveal that Gallagher is still alive was well done. It's kind of uh, played more serious, but is undercut with those puppets sitting with that damn stuffed dog that, um, what's her name? I can't remember her name off the top of my head, has a conversation with earlier in the film. Irene Miracle's character, isn't it? Yes. Um, my biggest gripe with it, like I said, is the, the lead character uh, of Alex, uh, Paul Lamott. He's just kind of, he's so bland and wooden to me, and a lot of his dialogue just lands sideways. But I feel like this film gives you enough uh, to chew on, either with a nice atmosphere or just ridiculous dialogue. Um, kind of sprinkled throughout, you know, with these really elaborately done puppet kills um, that I'd say is a big thumbs up for the original. I personally would prefer... Maybe parts two or three where they had kind of refined the formula a little bit, but there there is a lot to like here in the original, and I think it stands up all these years later, even with a million and one sequels uh, sequels in hindsight. So thumbs up for Puppet Master. Cool, uh, Justin. Have uh, yeah, as I said, you're waxing lyrical about how much you love Puppet Master on the commentary track. Yes, well, I was true. I do love Puppet Master, um, it, but I the, the only slight um, wrinkling of the truth was that uh, I think I'd seen Puppet Master one and two, so I actually had to watch back to back all Puppet Master movies in the space of about four days. Uh, so, which is a bit of baptism by fire. But I enjoyed them all. Um, Puppet Master was I, sort of rental for me back 
back in the day. Um, so I, I, I still think it's in so much fun. It's such a fun movie um, that, uh, that it's so distinctive. I know it kind of comes off the back of films like Dolls and, uh, you know, a number of kind of other kind of similar types of movies. Um, but it has that kind of uh, the quirkiness, which I think is kind of missing from um, uh, sort of a lot of movies. And I think partly to do with the fact that although it looks like it could have been released theatrically, it kind of wasn't. And it was always destined, I think, working with Paramount for as like a video premiere. Um, so in some ways, I kind of guess that gave the makers of Puppet Master more freedom to actually do stuff, make a kind of quirky movie, which may have been wrinkled, ironed out. Um, in uh, sort of a, a bigger budgeted movie if it was going for a, a theatrical release. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I noticed re-watching again this time was that uh, I, it was an odd thing in so much. I remember renting it back in the day and um, my brother really wanted to watch it as well. And he was kind of, you know, younger than me and being a little bit shocked watching it with our parents that there was boobies and stuff. Yeah, there's a there's there's a very prolonged sex scene in it. Yeah, so it's kind of so it's an odd film in some ways. It's kind of like quite how it got made, like it did, because this would kind of be in the shoe in for like as a kind of a kids movie almost, and and certainly with some elements cut out, it's it would play very well with kids. But it seemed it, it was kind of odd. It was kind of made like a for adults, um, but like no teenagers at all. So coming at the very tail end of the eighties, you have this film which has kind of middle-aged characters mostly um and but very kind of childlike and dreamlike kind of kind of fairy tale ambiance uh and but um something that would really appeal to kids but got loads of boobs in it and um and a fair splattering of gore towards the end so yeah it's kind of a unique film uh, considering that it came out at the tail end of the 80s just as we were kind of heading into that kind of early 90s wasteland really uh so yeah i you know, I know it's one of those kind of franchises which is just kind of spun off into. I don't, I don't even know how many Puppet Master movies there are now, but I imagine there's quite a few. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it again this time. I think it is a quirky treat. I, I, I do feel they may be slightly oversold Barbara Crampton's appearance in the trailer <laughs> <I guess. laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so as she's um, listed as woman at carnival. Um, I loved Irene, Irene Miracle's character, that she's so different to how she is in Inferno, uh, the Dario Argento film from 1980, which which is very kind of dreamlike. But in this, she's kind of like this kind of southern kind of boombox, really, isn't she, with the stuffed dog? So it's just that kind of weird quirks. And everyone I'd say everyone seems to be having a lot of fun with it, apart from Paul Lamatt, which, like you say, Tyler, he's, you know, it's a shame um, they wasn't slightly more charismatic character in that lead role. Um, I know he's kind of playing the straight man in it, but it's, you know, he's not, uh, it, it does, he kind of brings the film down, unfortunately, you know, uh, fair play to him and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And I, I, I can see, as you mentioned, Eric, about that kind of Euro feel to it, um, it has that, but again, because obviously they, that links to the Italian cinematographer. Uh, so it gives it that kind of, kind of weird feel. I mean, if you, if you look at films like the the Chucky series, um, uh, the the films and the TV series, they're very much kind of straight ahead, aren't they? Kind of types of movies um, with their own kind of quirks. But with this, it, it, you know, you've got these kind of crazy puppets that really do come out of nightmares. And say the leech woman is so disgusting. 
um, it, you know, it's actually it, even in a film that is kind of quirky and campy and odd that you do you can still have these kind of kind of puppets or kind of elements that actually kind of are icky as well. Uh, you know, it's it's not no small feat. So yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a great fun movie. Um, uh, so um, yes, thank you, Tyler, for picking it. Cool. Uh, Nathan, what are your thoughts? I love Puppet Master. I loved it as a kid. I loved all the puppets. And as an adult, I still love it today. Um, uh, I like, um, you know, all the puppets. But, of course, the one that really, like, you know, stuck out my mind is Leech Woman uh, or Ms. Leech. Um I don't know that she uh, would be beneficial if the victim wasn't tied up. I feel like the victim might could easily get away because it takes her a while to regurgitate these leashes it's, or leeches. It's not like, you know, that she like they shoot out or anything like it takes her a while. So I'm like, I feel like a person could get away from her um, if they weren't tied down. So maybe to make it fair for her, um, you know, she should have another power besides the leeches because the other puppets, um, you know, they can, uh, you know, kill people more quickly. I love the big like um, chase scene between Pinhead and Dana. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, although it seemed like Pinhead just kept wanting to punch her in the face because he just kept doing that over and over and over. And I was like, dang, Pinhead. I mean, it's pretty crazy. You know, um, I guess wanting to beat somebody to death. Yikes. Um, but um, I kind of disagree with you guys, I guess, about Paula Matt. Uh, while I do agree that, you know, his uh, character is not as interesting as any of the rest, I'm like, I think he's stuck with what he's given. I mean, he's supposed to play this bland, I guess, um, kind of straight man to the story. And I've seen him in other things, and he is really good. Um, he was in The Burning Bed, and he played the abusive husband, and I'm like, he is excellent in that movie. So, um, you know, I give him a pass because I know he's a good actor. Um, I just think it was a combination of the character and, and you know, things of that ilk, I would say. Let's see. I liked um, Blade. I thought Blade was probably the coolest of the puppets. You know, I just think Blade was just kind of, you know, I think for Blade, it was like doing what needs to be done. Oh, and I learned how to check to see if a de- if a person's really dead or not. I just need a really long pen that I can stab into them. Um, at the, uh, do you think that the other people at the funeral home might get upset if I were to do that? I mean, I was just testing. Stabbing into dead people. Isn't that more of Eric's kind of cup of tea? Hey, less of that. <laughs> Is that a Bob, Bob Hoskins reference? Yeah. Yes. Good grief. Yeah, good grief and tease. I've actually never seen any of the sequels. Um, I think what got me interested in the first one is the fact that it's a group of people uh, in one location getting picked off one by one, which, of course, slasher or not, is my favorite kind of film. Um, So um, this definitely falls under that category, uh, which, you know, something I really, really enjoy. But yeah, overall, uh, I give uh, Puppet Master two thumbs up. I think it's well worth watching, um, especially if you love, you know, kind of like the more cheesier 80s kind of like puppets and stuff. They're not CGI whatsoever. It's all practical. I mean, I think they do stop motion, like you guys said, but 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good movie and I say justice for leech woman. <laughs> Fair enough. Joseph. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen puppet master probably since it came out. And I, so I remembered next to nothing about it except the, the really good puppetry sequences that were, I guess, enough of a driving force to turn this into a franchise. So I didn't really know what to expect going in, but, uh, now that I'm reacquainted with the film, I, I still contend the puppet sequences are really top notch, despite the, the, the kind of obvious budgetary limitations. And they use this mix of standard puppetry, you know, stop motion and this kind of in one scene, this forced perspective to kind of bring these things to life. And it's really well done. And they're just a highlight to this. Uh, what is, you know, for me personally, otherwise very flat, kind of a basic cable film that didn't really interest me much outside of the hotel sequence, which I loved. Um, and this is where the various uh, puppets get to kind of murderously shine in the movie. I especially love the hilarious sex scene with Carissa and Frank, who are keeping the other guests awake with their volume. And then this se- this sequence right here basically gives new meaning to getting your nipples tweaked, as they're kind of killed by Miss Leech, who um, more or less just starts puking up all these toyas all over Frank's hairy nipples. Hey! Um, <laughs> but man, all of the psychic and alchemy mumbo jumbo just didn't do it for me. So whenever a character or a human character is trying to piece together the central mystery, uh, my eyes kind of glazed over a time or two. I was much more interested in the se- in that segmented uh, portion in the hotel where it feels almost slashery and anthological with the puppets picking various people off, you know, one room at a time. That stuff was great. Uh, but the story, I don't, I don't know. I just, it wasn't very involving. It was kind of like watching someone make a puppet or watching the paint dry on a puppet. If I'm honest, I much preferred the puppet sequences. I, I really couldn't tell you a single person's name outside of those killed in the hotel, like Frank and Carissa. I love that scene again. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't care about the puppet backstory much. Um, I, would have referred they kind of boiled this down into just puppets killing people, kind of like in that, um, uh, oh man, what's that one with Karen Black with the, the Zuni fetish doll? Trilogy of Terror. Yeah, they didn't really get too much into the specifics of the of the puppet there. I mean, it just was, and I kind of wanted that here. Uh, so, you know, beyond the puppet effects, there wasn't much to hold my interest. And the puppets themselves, you know, they are great, and I... I believe they probably get expanded upon in later sequels, but I don't know, even here, they feel like they're almost kind of shoehorned into this clairvoyant bore of a story that had all of the kind of oomph of watching, again, watching someone build the puppet rather than unleashing it. Um, So I kind of wanted more puppets and less, you know, psychic jawing back and forth. Um, But is this a slasher movie? I'd say no. But that middle portion sort of strides right alongside the subgenre with some great POV shots and some fun kills. Um, So, you know, it more or less qualifies in one form or another. So, I don't know. I didn't hate this movie, but I wasn't really with it. I'm not totally sure how it became a cult franchise based off of things that kind of happens here. Uh, Maybe the puppets were enough. I don't know. But uh, overall, it's a thumbs kind of sideways for me. It's got a lot of moments that I really liked and appreciated, but I just felt the story and the central human characters weren't enough to capture my interest, if I'm honest. Uh, but when the puppets are let loose, boy, it is a lot of fun. So 
Eh, yeah, like I said, thumbs sideways, not quite up, not quite down. Like Justin's trousers. I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> I, <have no laughs> I set idea you up for that one, Eric. I hope your joke of the week is going to be better than that. It is. Don't worry. Oh, I have one too, by the way. <gasps> oh, no. What if, it's, what if it's funnier than mine? Oh. I doubt that sincerely, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, can I just ask something about Puppet Master 2, which I haven't seen in a long time, Tyler? Uh, is there any characters from this carried over outside of the puppets? Any of the human characters? Um, not really. Um, Puppet Master 2 is, I was going to say, talking about what Joseph was saying with uh, not being very engaged with the puppet's creation, you're definitely better off not uh, taking any interest in that because the the backstory for the puppets, how they came to be, and everything to do with Andre Toulon changes pretty much between every single film. It's always different. And so there's there's really no use in trying to piece any sort of chronology together or keep up with it. But Puppet Master 2, it's pretty much only the puppets that carry over. It's another one of those sequels that's it's sort of very ambiguous with its placement, but gives you just enough to be incongruous and infuriating when you try and piece it all together. Cool. Because I must rewatch it because, uh, as I said, I have it on, on Blu-ray. Uh, I don't think it has a Justin Kurzweil commentary on it, though, does it, Justin? No, I don't know if I could have done seven <laughs> Puppet Master commentaries, to be honest, in a row. You might like number two a lot if you appreciate sort of a very gothic horror because a lot of it's a love letter to that. Isn't it number two? Is it the prequel? Was that part three? That's three. Three, that's right. Yeah. Toulon's Revenge, yeah. Well, should we have a look at some background? Yes. Well, Tyler, what do you have you got anything for us? Sure. Um, I will try to refrain from mentioning the super famous bits that, you know, most people know about uh, Puppet Master. But I will say that I dug up a bit of information. I didn't find a lot on it, so I, I, I'm kind of looking at it with a bit of suspicion. But uh, the original concept for this film had the main characters not as psychics, but instead witches and sorcerers um, and kind of something of that ilk. Leech mouth, uh, leech mouth, sorry, leech woman's mouth is made of foam latex in order to be more flexible. Let's see. There's only about three quarters of a leech coming out of the puppet's mouth and the rest is achieved through editing trickery. The blade puppet alone required five puppeteers to operate. Let's see. Blade, obviously, again, based on Klaus Kinski. Apparently, in the original draft, Leech Woman again was instead outfitted with a forked metal tongue, which she used to drain her victims. She was also described as having a clear glass body in order for the audience to see her fill up with blood. There's a few sources that say that it's inspired directly from the Zuni doll segment from Trilogy of Terror, but I don't know if I've ever seen Charles Band or anyone else actually involved with production confirm that. Maybe I missed it. Um, let's see... The puppet seen in the beginning looking out of Andre Toulon's window is a real-life Burmese opera marionette named Zoggy, the alchemist magician. I probably butchered that pronunciation. Let's see. One of the earliest puppets that Charles Band pictured was a six-armed ninja with guns. This puppet didn't make it into the movie, obviously, but it was the inspiration for Six Shooter, which would debut in the aforementioned Part 3. Fangoria seemed to be under the impression that Pinhead would be the lead puppet in the film. And let's see. I think that's about all of the information that I dug up that wasn't, you know, repeated ad nauseum and maybe a little bit that was. So, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, very interesting because it's, it's a little bit difficult to uh, dig up that much information on this movie, partly because it didn't go to theatres. 
So there, there's no reviews of it. I mean, there are lots of reviews out there of it, but there's no kind of reviews from the time in the kind of newspapers. So uh, so that kind of cuts off an avenue. But um, Eric, did you have some bits for us? Yes, uh, just a few bits to add on to that. Uh, so the stop motion is done by Stop Motion Wiz David Allen, who was Oscar nominated for his work on Young Sherlock Holmes uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, and he went on to direct Puppet Master 2. And he also did the effects with uh, Charles Band on Dolls, uh, his first film, Laser Blast, in the late 70s and uh, subspecies series. Uh, as I said, it was shot in uh, California. The exteriors were Pasadena. The interiors apparently were a Scientology building in Hollywood. So I might imagine Tom Cruise and John Travolta were possibly uh, <laughs> passing by as they were filming. Um, I imagine uh, it's probably, probably stranger things have been seen in uh, the Scientology building in California, I imagine. Yeah. Um, it apparently did get a theatrical release in Thailand. Uh, but everywhere else in the world, it went straight to video. Um, Paramount distributed on VHS in the States, uh, uh, and they were concerned that Leech Woman was a bit too disgusting, and they were uh, urging Charles Band to sort of push her to the background for future sequels, but I'm not sure if that happened. Does Leech Woman appear in all of the films, Tyler? Do you know? She kind of, uh, certain, I won't spoil it, but uh, she disappears after part two, um, and I think comes back in maybe the sixth film, I believe. All right. Okay. Um, as Justin said, Sergio Salvati was a cinematographer who had also worked on Fulci's sort of classic late 70s, early 80s uh, Living Dead movies. Uh, he'd also done work with Band before on Crawl Space, Cellar Dweller and Catacombs, which uh, was also released as Curse 4, I believe. Uh, David Schmoller, who directed Crawl Space and Tourist Trap, uh, has not got nice things to say about Charles Band. Um, he says that he was fine to work with at the time, but once all the ties were severed, he says that he's owed loads of residuals that he can't get out of Charles Band. And when it came to releasing the Puppet Master series, he was never approached to do any extras or do a commentary or anything. Uh, and he accuses Charles Band of trying to take all the glory for Puppet Master. Um, he said that uh, he promoted the films. He never promoted the, the films with the directors who made them. He just promoted them as if he was the director of all the films. Um, Pinhead's fists were provided by a dwarf stunt woman called Cindy Sorensen. Um, uh, uh, David Schmoller went on to direct a 20. 12 film called Little Monsters. Now, I was looking into this uh, thinking, oh, I wonder if that's another sort of killer doll movie or something. But no, apparently it's um, it's based on the James Bulger, Jamie Bulger case, which was uh, the murder of a toddler in the UK in 1993, which went on to ironically be blamed on the murderers having seen Child's Play 3, which was eventually dismissed as being hokum in the end. But at the time, it was a big deal. So... Um, Paul Amat, of course, we would have seen him in Death Valley. I think we mentioned that and also in Strange Invaders. Uh, Irene Miracle, um, as well as Inferno, she was in Night Train Murders, which was that kind of mid-70s Italian Last House on the Left type movie, which is very good, uh, but not a fun watch as such. Um, Jim Skaggs plays Justin in Justin Kurzweil in Hollow Man. Uh, Justin, I didn't know you were in that. Apparently there's a character called Wino. <laughs> oh, Eric. <laughs> um, and Muse Small 
I still can't get over that name. Her name is Muse Small, who plays Teresa, has an uncredited role in Fade to Black. So there we go. So, Justin, that's all I have. Do you have any more? Uh, well, a few bits. Uh, let's have a look. Um, the co-writer, Kenneth J. Hall, uh, is the brother of Cleve Hall, who was in... Um, have we done Twisted Nightmare? I think we have. Maybe. Yes, I think Back we did. In the, the Mr. Time. So um, he was also a funny little link to a film we uh, covered quite recently. Uh, Kenneth J. Hall also wrote Clown at Midnight. And uh, another slasher movie that we've covered, um, the uh, Terror Night, which was uh, William Butler was in, which was wasn't released until about twenty years after it was made. So uh, yes, he was a Ooh, kind of co-writer. I wonder why. Well, it wasn't that bad, I don't think. But um, oh, I, uh, okay, maybe I'm misremembering it then. Well, no, it was quite bad, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, I, I saw the thing about um, Charles Band being inspired by the Zuni doll, which it kind of, I mean, to be honest, I think anyone who's got any interest in horror, it was quite a, quite a big sort of TV movie, wasn't it, at the time? So uh, you mentioned David Allen, who did special effects. Um, uh, he also uh, worked on The Howling and The Stuff was the other thing. David Schmoller, of course, uh, probably best known for Taurus Trap, um, which had those kind of creepy mannequins with like kind of kind of almost like puppets themselves, weren't they? Uh, so there was that kind of connection there. Uh, and his other kind of semi-slashers, uh, The Seduction and Cruel Space. Uh, so it seems like they uh, mentioned about, um, or someone mentioned about the character Blade uh, being based on Klaus Kinski. And I've talked about it before, but there's a fantastic uh, film made by David Schmoller called uh, Please Kill Mr. Kinski. Um, where he was, uh, he basically, uh, if I remember correctly, it was something to do with making Crawl Space and Klaus Kinski was completely deranged um, in it. And I think it, I think it was that film that the, the Mafia wanted to take a hit on him because he was so annoying. Uh, and so um, <laughs> David Schmoller was kind of, uh, he was, uh, yeah, he had a love-hate relationship with him, a bit like uh, Werner Herzog as well. But um, obviously... Uh, we won't be redacting half of this uh, uh, this podcast episode on mentioning Klaus Kinski, unlike some of our commentaries that mention him. So, um, but uh, yeah, the only other thing I had was well, I meant, we mentioned Paul Lamatt, his kind of slasher uh, kind of um, pedigree, well, kind of other connections was Death Valley from 1982. Uh, I think I kind of read that he was he was he wasn't a great fan of violence in movies, so he wasn't he said that the kind of violence in this was justified. Um, but uh, you did have to wonder what you would have thought when you sort of watched back Death Valley and they had lots of, uh, obviously, things they'd filmed afterwards of uh, uh, naked ladies' boobies and uh, um, overweight uh, uh, childminders being being slashed to death. But, uh, uh, yeah, so um, the only other thing was that uh, this was cut by three seconds by the BBFC in the UK for its UK release which I can't imagine what three seconds will make much difference what, um, uh, with. Because at the end, when you have the, uh, the the main baddie being sort of chopped up and he kind of bleeds green blood, which um, is p- partly possibly to get around censorship and also because his character is meant to be dead. I kind of guess it's supposed to be embalming fluid, isn't it, or something in him. But uh, yeah, so that's everything I have, I think. So um, Nathan, how about you? No. Well, at least he didn't say he had everything we already said. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was waiting for that one, actually. <laughs> Joseph, do you have anything for us? Uh, the only thing I have is, um, it was actually Charles Band's idea to release this to VHS. 
Um, he felt that uh, he, I guess he kind of saw the writing on the wall that a lot of these horror films were making more money on the home market than they were at theaters, especially if they were kind of more cheap films. And, uh, you know, obviously that gambit paid off because they made like 50,000 sequels. Uh, so as you said, it was released to Paramount uh, in 1989 on VHS. And on that VHS, there's an extra at the very end. I think it might be after the end credits. It's called No Strings Attached. And it's the behind the scenes look at the making of Puppet Master. Um, but that's all I really have. That's all I found in my short uh, jaunt for background this week. I'm just like talking about David Schmoller because I was looking at his filmography and he, he was involved uh, up till 2018. He did um, Puppet Master Blitzkrieg Massacre. So I don't know if him and Charles Band are still kind of feuding or not. So um, what was the consensus on the group, Joseph? Uh, let's see. Um, 25 comments overall for Puppet Master. And from that, um, this one says, Great Hotel by the Sea location. Skillful animation and gruesome death scenes. Part two was great as well. I can't say anything bad about any of the others in the series. Some were better than the others. The reuse of puppet animation in later movies was a bit cheap. And that was from, oh my God, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Leif Fred Bjornsson. I hope I, sorry if I butchered your name there, Leif or Lafe or whatever your name is. And this one says, wish I liked it more, but find it really dull. That was from Miles Hamer, one of our longtime listeners. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all that we're doing. Listen on Amazon, Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and about a zillion other podcatchers, both good and terrible. Join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar per month to help support the show, or if you're financially inclined to do so, select one of those tiers that fits your budget for that extra monthly bonus content. That's patreon.com forward slash the hysteria continues. All one word. And that goes for our email address as well. The hysteria continues at gmail.com. Excellent. And we have some feedback to read out, but I guess we might as well get out of the way, hadn't we, first? It's my joke of the week. It's so, so fantastic. How do you operate a really slutty puppet? With G strings. G strings. <laughs> Oh, Eric, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. What do you got for us, Tyler? Yeah. Oh, God. So I'll, pl- I'll play you the jingle. It's my joke of the week. It's so, so fantastic. It's a little known fact that the puppets from this film also did other roles in queer cinema, like the kung fu drag queen feel-good comedy Toulon Fu. Thanks for everything. Very good. Oh, the humanity. (laughs) (laughs) It's like having our own little stand-up festival. Yeah. Mm. So, well, let's have a... Let's look at some feedback. So, who would like to go first? I'll go. Okay. Okay, so I've got one here from Daniel, and he says, Golden Age slashers were less a horror subgenre than a sensibility. They spanned genres... Some were clearly horror films with superhuman monsters. Halloween, Just Before Dawn, and Whatnot, so obscure it doesn't exist, uh, fall into this category. Is Whatnot re- really a name of a film? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, other, <laughs> others were police procedurals. My favourite is Night School. And a huge number were whodunits. Where do you start? Uh, not all of them were gory. They certainly were 
not all teen-based. They did not all feature large numbers of deaths. Uh, Then there are the oddities like they're playing with fire. This one owes a fair bit to 1983's class, uh, Brat Pack movies, and big glossy soaps. It's basically a proto-erotic thriller and is pretty good. Uh, Is there a decent copy of Evil Judgment? Hmm, I wonder. Yeah, we did a commentary for it. We did a commentary for it for Vinegar Syndrome. It came out on Blu-ray in late last year, was it? Um, Something like that. He says, I like that one. The only copy I have is a low-quality VHS rip on DVD. This was fine-ish when I had an oldie times steam-powered telly. (laughs) <laughs> but is near unwatchable now. Anyway, it combines combines a conspiracy storyline with a surprisingly non-judgmental view of sex work, some social commentary, and has a nice story arc. The doubting, very angry boyfriend becomes supportive. It also has an odd, scratchy post-punk soundtrack and is profoundly Canadian. Uh, P.S. Uh, nothing will ever convince me that Jaws 2, Alien, and The Terminator are not slasher movies. All feature unstoppable killers. Two of them have final girls, and one of them is a dead teenager picture with a horribly burned monster acting as a fishy cropsy at sea, stalking a local bad place on the East Coast. And that's from Daniel. Yes, so Daniel, Evil Judgment, uh, out on Blu-ray at the moment. Uh, looks amazing. Much better than your VHS rip on DVD. Uh, from Vinegar Syndrome. So check it out. We're on it. Excellent. And lots of good points there about Slash Movie. I'd say it's, it's always, you know, it's it's always slightly difficult to uh, define the genre. Uh, there's lots of kind of fellow travellers in there. And I know we got some heat for they're playing with fire. But, uh, the, you know, it isn't a Slash Movie through and through, but it certainly turns into a Slash Movie in the last kind of half an hour or so. So yes, and the point is, if we're if we were really strict about what is and isn't a slasher movie, we would have had to give up after episode seventy or something. That is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, well, thank you. And who would like to? Who else has got one? I do. Okay. This says hi all. There are plenty of tropes and in parentheses killer backstory, creative kills, unfamiliar location, a single final girl that aren't in every slasher film. Are there any definitive rules aside from the inclusion of a psycho killer and the people being killed for what absolutely has to be included? Or do you prefer a I know it when I see it definition? That's from Ken Holiday. I guess for me, it's more of I know it when I see it, whether I consider it a slasher or not, because it's so subjective. And there's so many different people that classify slashers in different ways. Um, so, I mean, for me, uh, you know, there are some like obviously something like Friday the 13th that's out now to slasher movie. I don't know that anyone can argue that it isn't, um, but there's definitely some that, you know, can be argued. I mean, and like the guys have said, you know, on the show, I mean, getting into 300 episodes, I mean, I still have a lot of slashers to pick. But for the guys, I know it's harder for y'all to find ones that you like that we haven't already covered, I know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I guess I know it when I see it, like, I can't think of any like strict rules for a slasher because, you know, there are some slasher movies that don't follow like you, like the, like he said, like a single final girl. Well, like say the burning, I would consider that a slasher. It doesn't necessarily have a final girl facing the killer. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely different rules that apply. So it's hard for me to come up with a definition. What about you guys? Well, I think the uh, the previous feedback kind of summed it up as well. I mean, it's basically you can shoehorn 
the the knife uh, the knife wielding killer into pretty much anything, and it could still be called a slasher, or as Justin would say, slasher adjacent. So, you know, like you said, Nathan, it's very subjective. I don't think you can pigeonhole it down to just a guy with a knife. Yeah. What do you think, Tyler? Have you got any any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the slasher movie as a whole just has so many moving parts. It's kind of amorphous with its definition that so many films uh, kind of tread the line of being slashers, but maybe aren't fully there. They're missing certain tropes or they inject tropes from other genres in there. And it's it's very hard to pin down for sure. So I, I, I'd i say I'd have to agree with Nathan in saying that it's a, a call it when I see it type of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting because there's there isn't a strict definition of a slasher movie as you mentioned i mean i think there's there are all the kind of kind of sub sub genres within the kind of slasher movie like the mass killer kind of the uh, you know you know kind of the murder mystery uh sort of type of film that, that doesn't necessarily things i mean a lot of it all goes back to i would say all goes back to that kind of and then there were none the egg for christie um, you know, murders one by one. On that, that kind of that for me, that is kind of the template of what I would consider like the slasher movie or, or the Jalo. Um, and it, that that has kind of that template has gone all the way through, uh, pretty much the, the the genre all the way through, and loads of variations. But it's kind of it's beating kind of bloody heart. The slasher movie is the kind of the one by one murder mystery is you know where the you know for me the classic slasher setup is the is the kind of like um a group of people being isolated being murdered one by one uh by a mystery killer who is revealed at the end i mean that's kind of the the, the lego bricks of the slasher movie but there's so many different variations of it and that all that goes back to that kind of agatha christie uh setup that uh, you know, I think it's kind of of interesting, but uh, and it's also the, it's simplicity and also versi- versatility. It's a kind of a template from a type of movie, which is why you're still seeing so many of them being made today. Um, they it's it's something that was always going to appeal to a, a new young audience. You said there's always going to be like a, another audience uh, of young people looking to see facts similes of themselves being murdered on screen. So I never think it's going to go out of fashion as such, although it does obviously go in and out of fashion. But, you know, it's, it's the, you know the reason they call it a subgenre that will never die uh, because it can constantly be reinvented or kind of retooled for, you know, different social issues or different, uh, different times, different fashions or whatever. Yeah, and I think um, we're here to remind you of that, more or less. I mean, a lot of people seem to, like Justin said, that we had some flack on their playing with fire but I think if you just kind of stick to that kind of tried and true murder mystery, you're not going to get far um, into the genre. I mean, you, you kind of have to explore other avenues. And when you do that, you actually find some really, really great movies that aren't talked about. So I think that's why we kind of cover films like They're Playing With Fire, because they have enough going and they're interesting in and of themselves. Absolutely. I, and also the, the other thing that I think is worth pointing out is that most people who make slasher movies, certainly back in the early 80s, they wouldn't have described them as slasher movies. I don't think Sean Ness Cunningham would have said, I've made a slasher movie, and John Carpenter wouldn't have said Halloween is a slasher movie. It's a kind of, um, you know, it's a bit like when people go, in Fangoria, our new film's not a horror film, even though it clearly is. So there's a kind of, there's stigma around the term slasher movie as well, which um, I kind of, kind of throws more wrinkles into it, as well, I think. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, from where I'm sitting as a longtime listener, I really appreciate when you guys sort of delve into movies like They're Playing With Fire and stuff that 
maybe represents a facet of the slasher movie. I, you know, I don't think it loses the core of, you know, the show to, to start dabbling in films like that, because, you know, as you guys have mentioned, you've, you've only got so many slasher movies, you know, that people know about or that you can actually feasibly find to, uh, to cover. Well, I would argue that we only have so many quality slasher <laughs> movies to talk about. <laughs> I've still got quality slashers to discuss. Yeah, <laughs> your next pick after mine is, is is a very clear indication of that, mm. Nathan, which I won't spoil. It is. But, mm. it is. Mm-hmm. but it's also fun to talk about films that aren't very good uh, yeah, sometimes. Nathan. Yes, Nathan. Thank you, thank you Nathan, for your contr- <laughs> long-time contribution. Y'all better to not that. be talking about Old Federal 2. <laughs> That's the best one. Yeah, it's the cream of the crap. Cream of the crap, yes. I retract my thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, uh, as I said, if we, you know, we look at listener figures, um, if we cover something like Nightmare on Elm Street se- um, sequel or or a Friday the 13th film, you know, our listenership spikes massively. Um, but actually, it's sometimes harder to find anything that w- worthwhile to, that hasn't already been said about those movies. Which is why, for me, it's almost more interesting to actually delve into obscure kind of movies that not many people know. And so, because uh, otherwise, there's, I mean, there's books and podcasts, there's documentaries and stuff about those films. It's not that we can't give some kind of unique angle or hopefully give some kind of something, our own kind of twist on it. But for me, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I get much more pleasure sort of digging up old reviews of half-forgotten slasher movies from the early 80s uh, or, you know, other time periods than, than I do kind of regurgitating something about, uh, you know, the latest uh, Elm Street sequel. Exactly, yeah. So, okay, well, who's have we got? Uh, Joseph, do you have one? Yeah, yeah, I have one. Um, this says, congratulations on 13 years and 300 episodes, gents. Well, 301, as I am a bit late to the party, I still remember my brother recommending your podcast back around 2013. I finally had a car with a Bluetooth audio player and was desperate for content to get me through my commute. I probably sampled 100 podcasts that year, but only one has stood the test of time. What newer listeners may not know is that the podcast nearly ended in tragedy nine years ago on episode 94. Yes, on that fateful day in 2015, Justin finally pushed Eric over the edge with his bullying, in quotation marks, and Inga, also in quotation marks, Eric, threatened to leap out of a four-story window. (gasps) Joseph had been called away for work. I don't remember being called away for work because I remember what he's talking about, but um, he goes on to say, so it was up to Nathan to heroically and half-heartedly talk Eric down from the ledge. (laughs) The rest, as they say, is history. Thank you all for the countless hours of entertainment, and may the hysteria continue for many years to come. Your pal, Ara Alishan. Thank you, Ara. Been a while since you've written in. Yeah, thank you, Ara. I have one here, the last one. There's a um, uh, happy belated 313th birthday, guys. I'm sorry I missed the proper episode. I've recently watched The Girl Who Knew Too Much, The Case of the Scorpion's Tale, Splatter University, The Dawn That Drip Blood, Love Butcher, News Evil, and I enjoyed them all for different reasons. I'm watching The Possessed later. Is that one? Is that one of the sweary Italian exorcist ripoffs? I don't think so. Don't, is it? Is that a TV movie? I'm not sure. Oh, the, if, he's, if he's talking about the one I'm thinking of, it's more arty. I could be mistaken that with Possession, but unless anyway, unless it's that TV movie, the one that can carry ripoff. Maybe I'm thinking of that. But anyway, he goes on to say, "I'm still educating my son Wamberto in the way of the slasher film." 
And he was monumentally disappointed by the killer reveal and I know know what you did last summer. Who's he? He shouted incredulously. They can't just dump a new character in the movie like that, he exclaimed. Uh, I'm glad he cared enough to be disappointed. P.S. Do Nathan and jo- no, sorry, do Nathan and Joseph know that in Britain the term to slash is slang for urinating, i.e., I'm going for a slash, and that down in the south of England the term slasher is used for urinals. Lots of love, Wario Barva. Did you know? Did you know Nathan and Joseph and Tyler? Yeah, I think I'd heard it before once, but it kind of slipped my mind. So I'll say it's a new one on me. Yep, same here. I didn't know. I've, I've never heard that term, I guess, used in, in that way. But then again, I also didn't know what you people call it, fanning. <laughs> you, you people. My God, no one can get their language right between countries. Everyone has to be different. Can't we all just get along? No. Um, but he says, Eric, do you know, because it's funny, because obviously I've heard that term going for a slash, because that's kind of... but. The term slasher for urinals, even though I'm from the south of England. So I was wondering, because I know you've hung around toilets quite a lot in London. So <gasps> did you ever hear the term <laughs> No, I've never, heard, I've never heard the term slasher. I am familiar with the term going for a slash, obviously. Yeah. But not, yeah. And I don't hang around toilets in London. What do y'all call going poo? Taking an Eric? <gasps> oh my God, I'm this close to jumping out the window again. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, put your Skype camera on first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You wish you mm. could see my sexy body. Maybe not. Um, so, okay. Well, uh, hopefully that's everything you wish for, Tyler. <laughs> or maybe every, everything you feared. I Please don't throw yourself out the window, Eric. <laughs> thank you. We'll never hear from Tyler again. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, being on the show, Tyler. It's, it feels like uh, you've been with us all the time, uh, fitted in seamlessly. So uh, I very much enjoyed having you on the show been a lot of fun excellent well hopefully you won't be you'll be back in the not too distant future but uh talking of the future joseph i think you are choosing next aren't you yes it's another listener pick from um i yannick moi or nick moi uh this is a little different for us it's a hulu original tv series that they release these kind of full-length movies and basically call it a TV series. But this is uh, from Into the Dark. It's called Midnight Kiss from 2019. And it's an LGBTQ or whatever you, whatever those letters are. I can never get them right, so I apologize. Uh, it's one of those slashers um, set on New Year's Eve. So I, I don't think I've seen it, but it's apparently supposed to be decent for that kind of thing. So kind of looking forward to it. Excellent. Yes. Well, that'd be that'd be interesting to delve in, and we'd probably talk a bit more about some of those kind of tubey and those kind of straight to streaming slasher movies uh, of recent years as well. So, uh, do join us for that. And um, Eric, do you have what are we playing out with? Uh, we're playing out with an early single by Echo and the Bunny Man called "The Puppet." Oh, good choice. So, okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll catch you next time on the History Continues. Uh, so, say goodbye to the good people. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So we didn't jinx ourselves this time, Nathan. Perfect.
For reference, Eric's looks just like the Lincoln Tunnel. <gasps> I don't even know what the Lincoln Tunnel is, but I imagine it's It's big. very large. It's very large. That's a mean thing to say. <laughs> 